Hi, I'm Giacomo Marchese, co-founder of Vegan Proteins, Plant Built, and a member of the Vegan Strong team. And I'm with SoFlow Vegans. Welcome to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. We bring you vegan experts from around the world to talk about health, the environment, animal advocacy, and spreading compassion. It's our passion to help you navigate the vegan lifestyle by listening to the experiences of vegan influencers, doctors, and experts. Thanks for listening. This is the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. And now your host, Sean Russell. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. I'm Sean Russell, and today we have Giacomo Marchese on the show. He is the co-founder of VegansProteins.com, as well as PlantBuilt.com. Been following him for a while. Actually had a chance to meet him when he dropped down here in South Florida. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This is an absolute pleasure. I'm really excited to be on your podcast. Now, I'm, I'm excited to have you on, obviously, because I've been following you. I've seen what you're up to. But I am actually starting a journey myself of getting to the best shape that I've ever been in. So I am really going to be picking your brain when we talk about some of these topics for my personal insight as well, which is probably the best way because then I'm motivated to ask you those deep probing questions for the people who are listening because that's what we're doing this for. You're sharing your information and I'm pulling the information out of you so the listeners at home could be like, yay, I get to be the best version of myself as well. So that was a bit of a mouthful. So I want to start the way we normally start our podcast. And I want to ask you about your vegan origin story. What were those seeds that were planted in you that made you be the person that you are today in terms of the vegan community? Good question. My vegan origin story started with me having never been conscious of the word until I was in my 20s. And through fitness, I found that I cared about my health a lot, but I cared even more about the health of others, honestly. And I felt the need to care about my own health, which is what led me to a plant-based diet. Although the word was coined in my vocabulary when I read a book and it was like Eastern philosophy meets health. And the thought was, well, meat should be a condiment. And I dared myself to get rid of meat altogether and go completely plant-based to be cholesterol free, to be an example for others who wanted to reverse heart disease, to improve their chances of feeling good for the rest of their life. And to I also wanted to challenge myself to see if it would get me healthier and improve my performance in the gym. As far as being an activist, that happened over time by looking to be more connected with the community. I found community. I was fortunate enough to live in New York City and fortunate enough to work with some work alongside someone. My dad always told me never date where you work, but I crossed that boundary <laughs> and I dated someone who was and still is an animal rights activist in that she runs an operation called Gotham City Kitties. And I learned to be more connected with what was on my plate. And as soon as I made that connection in my head, it was the obvious route. I sought out more community. I met Robert, 
and many others through veganbodybuilding.com. And we had a meetup in Portland, Oregon one year, and then stuff got really wild. Danny and I had met, I was single at the time for many years. I felt good enough so that as we started to get comfortable with each other, we wound up dating. It, it, uh, again, stuff got crazy. Robert, Danny, and I started working together on projects, on documentaries, on evolving from those projects to doing things like plant built, vegan proteins. And now I'm saying a mouthful, so I'll stop. But long story short, <laughs> it didn't start with activism, but it is now my career path. And I keep doubling and tripling down on it because it means that much to me to lead with compassion and try to leave this earth hopefully better off than how I found it. So, so you went vegan roughly around what, 10 years ago? More closer to 20. More 20. Oh, okay. All right. So in that time period that you were vegan, what have you noticed? Cause it's, that's a, that's a good stretch of time for you to be vegan. So like what, what have you seen in terms of that growth from when it started to now? Like what's the biggest takeaway that you can point out? The growth of the, well, for one, there are a lot more of us. That's mm -hmm. pretty darn cool. And I've been over the moon the past five to 10 years seeing the, how many more people are plant-based and also vegan. So that's really neat. The food, the food was terrible. Okay. Yeah, I'll say the food was terrible back then. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was, I didn't, it was like tempeh, tofu, or just some random thing. If you were lucky enough to have access to it at a local co-op or your local organic grocer. And nowadays the scientists and the food engineering powers that be, they just won't stop. They're going crazy with all kinds of things, finding a way to make food more sustainable and we're benefiting from that because we have so many more options. And, and, and that's an interesting topic that you just mentioned. So what are your thoughts on that? Obviously you alluded to it a little bit that the great innovate innovation, but I know there's a lot of um, controversy within the community regarding some of these cell based, um, these types of meats. Like what are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't mind waxing philosophically when it comes to veganism. However, I don't feel like that's where the solutions lie. I think the wider of the net that we can cast, the fewer animals that are exploited and consumed, the better off we're going to be. So that's my short as far as my opinion there. And of course, we can get more granular with it if you like, because there are some things like I like, I'm like, ew, I don't want to eat. I don't want to ever eat lab meat, even if no animal was ever touched. I don't want to, I don't, you know, if there are eggs dropped in my yard because there are chickens roaming free, I don't see that as food, although there's nothing ethically wrong with that. So these are some examples or the, the strains that they're using to culture dairy to make ice cream that is made from say curds and whey, like it is dairy ice cream, but there are no animals being exploited. I don't see anything wrong with any of these things on a personal level though. I have no interest in I don't see that as food, but if someone else does, that's fine. So, so let's, let's go Ben. I, that was a little of a side you, you mentioned, and I was like, Oh, I want to know what you're thinking. But, um, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast, I am starting restarting on my fitness journey. You know, there's been times in my life, I'm about to turn 40 times in my life where I was like, Oh, in the gym every day, some tremendous results, what have you. But, um, 
for someone that might be going through that as well, looking to get healthy, get strong, maybe they're at the beginning of their vegan journey as well. They're not sure if they're going to be able to do it because of you know, maybe someone's whispering in their ear, you need more protein or you need this and that. What's a good place for someone to start? A good place for someone to start is to not try to reinvent the wheel. I think the very first thing someone does when they think about being vegan or being plant-based is, well, I'm stuck eating fruits and vegetables or I'm stuck with store-bought things, which it's a little weird to me. This is something new. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think the easiest way to go about it is to look at how you're currently eating and think about the kinds of meals that you enjoy. If you like pizza, find a vegan alternative to pizza. If you like pasta or burgers, find a vegan alternative to that. But that being said, I do think it's also important to start making some changes to be a healthier person and benefit from the idea of a plant-based diet, meaning immediately start to look to incorporate some more vegetables, immediately start to incorporate some more fruit, and then also find foods you enjoy. There are recipes. We have tons of free recipes on our YouTube site if you like to cook. Um, there are tons of options at like Target. There's a whole aisle now of plant-based meats, for example. So you can find different solutions based on how you currently like to eat instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. Now, some of those plant-based options that are available, like you mentioned at Target and other places, um, how healthy are they? I know they don't have um, you know, meat products, dairy and such. But could somebody go overboard on that and, ha- and it'd be a detriment to their health? Or is it because it's vegan, it, it can be a little bit more um, liberal with it? Well, I think in terms of calories, some of the stuff can be a little off. In terms of your overall health, it's cholesterol-free, so that's a no-brainer. It is easy to start to fall into like, we'll say junk a junk food trap trap for lack of a better way of framing it. We're entering an age where we almost have too many options. And I remember Danny and I talking about this as a little aside here, where two years ago, we started to say, wow, never thought we'd have this problem, but we actually have to be concerned about making sure that we're keeping vegans healthy when they come to us and we coach them because there were just so many different things that you can enjoy now that you can wind up going a little overboard. Some of the vegan meats can be a little higher on the fat side and they're not, I wouldn't consider them overt proteins, meaning they're not even necessarily like a Beyond Burger is not necessarily a source of protein, but it has protein in it, for example, as opposed to to say Upton Seitan uh, or a Gardein product, for example. So some things to just be mindful about when you're looking to be fueling yourself for performance and also looking after your body composition and your overall health. So if someone is looking to eat for performance, we touched a little bit about, you know, just making that transition into a plant-based diet and you get rid of the meat products. Um, What are some of the, what are some go-tos or some recommendations that you would have for them? Something that would complement a steady workout routine. Recommendations that I'd have for a steady workout routine are to make sure, one, that your pre and post-workout nutrition are somewhat 
dialed in. And when I say that, I mean that you're getting a nice meal in before you train and a nice meal in after you train. What that looks like as far as balance goes is to have something with protein in it, a decent amount of protein in it. And it's preferable to get a little less fat in before you train and after you train because it just means that you're good, the food is going to be more available. Fat slows down digestion. So like a Beyond Burger before or after you train, probably not ideal, but maybe something more along the lines of a Guardian Chicken Patty or, um, or even lentils, for example, would work. So things like that I think about when I build my pre and post-workout nutrition. And get your carbs in. Don't be afraid to eat some vegetables. So personally, if I give you a quick example, I like oats and fruit and a protein shake before I train. And after I train, I enjoy something like potatoes, vegetables, and seitan. Those are typical go-to meals for me pre and post-workout. In general, for your whole meal plan, I think eating three to five times a day, making sure that you're eating enough and making sure that you're prioritizing protein and foods that are nutrient dense. I think those are some things to think about when you're building yourself a meal plan and you're focusing on yourself as an athlete. So you mentioned it a couple of times in, in the last couple of minutes, protein. Um, I usually make a joke, you know, where do you get your protein? But in, in all seriousness, for people who are, are listening or watching this, um, why is protein such a conversation starter in the vegan community? Because it's been overemphasized for years on end. And I think that that is probably to sell meat, honestly. And I think that's where it stems from. And so the pushback against that was, well, the whole, the World Health Organization recommends that you need four to 5% of your daily calories coming from protein. That's it. And there's no such thing as protein deficiency. You could probably even be somewhat malnourished and still not be protein deficient. So that was a pushback. And then there's also, I feel like the, uh, the doctors in our spaces think about folks who age and worry about how protein can either I, I, that's that's a touchy one, but I feel like they have shied away from protein because they're more focused on reversing heart disease and also like clearing out all the risks of heart disease from those who have not been vegan for a very long period of time. So their focus is more on low fat and carbohydrates and like you don't really need to worry about protein. But we're we're not that that's that answer is not for everybody and that and and sometimes we wind up going on this narrative where we demonize one of the three macronutrients. And, uh, and so that's kind of the conversation I want to keep opening up here. Protein is important. Uh, and if you're getting in anywhere from 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of lean body mass, then you're getting in more than enough. But if you don't focus on getting in that much, you can easily get in a lot less than that. And you're not in any danger of being unhealthy. However, you may, you'll likely make slower progress because it's the building protein is the building blocks for, uh, for performance, for, for recovering after your workouts and for holding on to muscle tissue. 
And in terms of protein, you mentioned it in the and the animals and the meats that where does the where does the protein come from when you're absent of the animals? Like, what are some sources, plant based sources of protein? Plant based, easy plant based sources of protein. The popular ones are soy, wheat, and pea, and you can cook those up in all kinds of different ways. You can work with those ingredients in all kinds of different ways, I should say. So you can make your own burgers at home. You can make your own chicken patties at home. You can do something simple like get tofu, which is nothing other than soybeans. You can enjoy other kinds of beans like lentils. The uh, Yeah, seitan is a simple way of saying wheat meat. But you can get a lot more creative like that. I mean, we, the, the alchemy with food these days, even outside of the science behind it with food engineering, what you can do at home there are so many cool chef, uh, the chefs out there and that have made all kinds of cool recipes. So you can get really creative with it, actually. And you, some, of the, some of the sources that you mentioned also come with their own conversations, soy being a big one of them. So let's you know, talk about protein and then probably soy would be another conversation that's commonly had. Um, what, what's the, what's the blowback on soy and why do a lot of people try not to consume it in large quantities? There has been a blowback for soy for a while. There's definitely been a war between soy and animal products that's lasted for decades. There's been a lot of agenda with research out there in the past that's demonized soy. So we still get that kind of misinformation to date. And I think that causes some issues as far as, I think there's also a fear from a lack of understanding as far as what phytoestrogens are. Uh, you can find phytoestrogens in coffee, in oats, in beer, in all kinds of things, including soy. The truth of it is that there is no known, there is no evidence out there that phytoestrogens will affect your hormones. They will not. You have to consume like 50 pounds worth of soy to have any sort of to have any sort of negative effect on your any sort of effect on your hormones, period. And if anything, if you did that, it would lower your estrogen. Yet there is this fear because you see the word estrogen, phytoestrogen, that your it will raise your estrogen levels, which is just not true. And it's a it's a crying shame, Sean, because the truth is that phytoestrogens are actually anti-carcinogenic. So they help you be proactive about lowering your risk of causing of cancer. Um, And you're getting them in from other areas anyway. So soy is actually helpful for your health, not harmful, and it has no impact on your hormones. But there's all these storylines and misinformation out there. And don't get me wrong, some some evidence may come up eventually, but I've, I've been at this for 20 years and there's been a lot of science behind this and there's nothing Nothing pointing, there's no evidence pointing to soy having an effect on your hormones. We want to hear from you. Visit our website to ask a question, leave a comment, or tell us how much you love the show. We'll play some of your messages during the episode, as well as directly to our guests. So be sure to leave your name and city and visit SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. One of the things that I always want to address are Maybe some of the things that, you know, going into veganism, you should be aware of, um, like essential nutrients or, you know, whatever it might be, have to deal with, with your health. So I wanted to go into that a little bit, um, if you don't mind. So essential nutrients, you know, 
what are some things that are hard to find? Maybe in maybe they exist, but it's hard to find in plant in plant based foods that you may need to take a supplement or a, a capsule to to make sure you have a, a good supply in your system. Well, truth be told, I don't know enough about coed CoQ10 that coenzyme. I hear some information out there that you may want to do your research there. I have honestly not done my research there. Where I have done my due diligence is when it comes to B12 and D3. And I feel like you should make sure to supplement with B12 and D3 uh, as a vegan. The truth, though, is that in general, whether you're an omnivore or a vegan or a flexitarian or whatever, that you should be concerned about your B12 levels and your D3 levels. Foods are generally fortified with that. Um, but I don't think that the, like, like in other words, cow's milk is fortified with vitamin D and, um, you know, what, I'm not sure what foods are fortified with B12, honestly. So that's, that's a definite one. But my point here is that whether you're a vegan or not, you should be supplementing with B12 and you should be supplementing with, with, uh, with D3 vegan sources, of course because there's just not enough of a supply. We've stripped the earth of its resources to the point where you're just not getting it in anymore. Um, and I don't think it's any different whether you're vegan or not. And, and why is it important for us to, let's start with B12. What does B12 actually do for us? Why do we need it? Well, B12 is good for your brain and it's good for your energy levels and you store it in your system over a long period. Like you have stores of it. Uh, when you're actually deficient in B12, your stores have been depleted for about five or 10 years. By the time that you're actually deficient, you're risking brain damage. And that brain damage can sometimes be irreversible. So if you're a, be, taking a purist approach or a naturalist approach to it and thinking you can go without it, I'm not trying to scare you. Test your B12 levels and pay close attention to them. Uh, the right kind of test because there is floating B12 and then there are your stores of B12. So work with a doctor and know what your stores of B12 are. And But in my personal opinion, I don't recommend taking that risk, just supplement. The kind of B12 that's more bioavailable is methyl-based. So not sinocobalamin, methyl. Just think the M when you look for your supplementation because you can absorb that, whereas the sinocobalamin you can't really absorb. Now, I know they have different types of B12. I know they do actual shots. They do the sublingual, I think. Um, so what does it matter which one you use? Is one more potent than the other? Or are they basically all the same? I bet the shots are a lot more potent. <laughs> that, that, would, that would make sense going directly into your blood. Um, <laughs> um, all right. So in terms of the D3, what same, same question. What, why is D3 important? D3 is important because when your stores become depleted, you start experiencing depression. And depression is one of those things where you can't talk yourself out of it. And if that imbalance is coming from you being deficient in a vitamin, kind of look at it in hindsight and be like, that's so, like, I can't believe I, I was working through this depression thinking that there's something I could do counseling wise or. Uh, or lifestyle-wise, when the answer could have been as simple as just making sure that you weren't deficient in D, your vitamin D. Uh, even if you are exposed to the sun, 
you have to like have enough of your body exposed to the sun. You need to be in an area where you're getting direct sunlight. So if you're living in a city with tall buildings, for example, and you're trying to go for a walk and expose yourself to sun for a period of time every day, you still, you still might wind up being deficient. It's just not worth it taking the risk. Wow. I, if that's the first I've heard that before, so I've learned something new today. That's pretty cool. So in terms of depression is a huge topic that comes up or doesn't come up, you know, in certain, certain instances with the stigma around mental health. Um, are there any other foods or anything nutritional wise that can support with depression in addition to D3? That is a very good question. I think that the healthier, the more whole foods you eat in general, the healthier you're going to feel, the better your digestion is going to be, the more energy you're going to have, the more of an anti-inflammatory effect food will have on your system. And not to say that taking care of yourself physically is going to give you the me- give you your mental health. I think you, your brain, like anything else, you have to take care of it. You have to foster good mental health. You have to work on that separately. However, setting yourself up to be physically healthy is going to put you in a position where you have more energy to work on your physical health, and it's going to make it less likely that your physical health will be contributing to a lack of mental health. Okay. And thank you for that answer. And so you're working on your physical health, you're exercising, you're getting into the gym, you're running around your block, whatever it is you're doing. Is there a good balance that a person should have? Because, you know, I know like for myself, I'm like, I'm going to go every single day. Like, is there, what would you recommend in terms of someone who wants to jump right into it and go, you know, pardon the phrase, balls to the wall with it? What would you recommend that take that desire to go balls of the wall and hold on to that motivation for dear life because i promise you (laughs) that it is not going to last and if you want to be truly healthy and see your body truly change you're going to need to be doing this consistently for at least three years preferably five or more take a realistic approach and always do less than what you think you should be doing And whatever you want to do now, think of what you could sustain for the next five years. Honestly, it's practical to get in three times a week, 30 30 minutes to an hour for most, and then scale up from there. That gives you a chance to focus on other habits that you will need to have in mind for everything to be working well and to find out what your routine needs to be for the next month or two so that you could keep doing this thing as opposed to going, like you said, balls to the wall with your training. And then it's like, well, all these moving parts and how's it going to get all put together. And then before you know it, like your stress levels and your anxiety levels need to be managed because you're just doing too much too fast, or you just see yourself out of the process. And then two, three months later, you're telling yourself that you're making excuses and you're fell off the wagon. You just need to get back on it and be motivated and do it again. Well, the truth is maybe you went too hard, too fast. Uh, by trying to do it all, all at once. So I don't want to discourage the motivation, like be motivated. Um, take the time though, to work your way into a process that's going to work for you long-term. Look, I've been consistent for 10 years now, and I've trained a total of 25 years of my life. And I'm competing for 
a season where I'm going to be on stage for like five to seven shows next year. This is top priority for me. I am, this is not me like stroking my own ego. This is me trying to frame things as far as how much we should be training. I get in the gym and I get out in under an hour and I do it four, maybe five times a week. And in terms of sustainability factor of working out, what are some, what are some, I don't say hacks, but like, what are some things that can help someone, you know, stick with a regiment and, and not fall off and make it something where they could be doing it for 10 years? Tricks and hacks to make your routine a regimen so you don't fall off in the next five years. Mm. Well, I feel like it's important to go with the flow and know that life is going to happen. And there will be some weeks where you can only train twice a week. There'll be other weeks where you, there'll be some weeks and months where you could train for four or five times a week. Uh, I think understanding that and knowing that going in will set you up in a place where you're not thinking about failing. If you're not getting in your routine, um, Tricks and hacks, tricks and hacks. Well, um, let me see. Managing your fatigue and having realistic expectations about how hard you should be pushing, focusing on your form. These are some things I think about. So when you get in, uh, think about your goals. Think about what you want to do with your, your training. You know, find some exercises you enjoy. Uh, I, some people just want results and I get it. Like I'm in that camp. All I care about is results. I don't, I don't want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want results. That's how I feel. But that's a flaw. That's a mistake. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. In order to get results, you should be enjoying what you're doing. Find some extra, fall in love with some exercises, work on those exercises, incorporate them into your program. Um, it's not about like the results come when you're enjoying the process. Find some exercises you love. Um, train, find a, find a training buddy or find a program that you enjoy. Um, work with a coach. Um, and um, I think other things, other traps that people fall into or that they crave structure and routine and schedule. And it's like, well, I'm going to train Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I need to train a certain way on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to make this workout program uh, successful. And that's just not true. It, the, it, I think a simplified way of looking at it or a training week would be to get in three workouts a week. And it doesn't matter what order you get those workouts in. And it doesn't matter what days you get those workouts in. And those workouts should include exercises that you enjoy. And you should be somewhere where you enjoy training, uh, both like the facility and the people that means only you at home, or if that means you with a workout buddy at a commercial gym, whatever that looks like, like put yourself in an environment where, and, and train in a way that you're going to continue to fall in love with the process. So thank you for what you just um, mentioned, because that's going to support me and what I'm doing. Cause I, where I am right now, it's like, okay, I'm going to go every single day, but the way I have it played out is like, you know, it's more just so I can start my day. Um, start my day with, on a schedule, on a routine. You know, I might go to the gym and just do you know ten minutes of cardio and, and maybe a, a kettlebell. 
and then leave. And there may be days where I'm going to do a, a whole routine for an hour and, and, and break it through. But I, I, it's almost like giving me that, you know, that back door to be able to say, you know, if it's raining or if I'm sick or for something like that, I don't have to be like, oh, well, I messed up. So I'm going to stop going to the gym, which has happened to me in the past. You know, I'll be on a nice little run and then, you know, life happens and then I fall off. But um, in terms of you specifically, how did you, what sparked, you know, the idea that you wanted to, you know, be in this profession, you know, and help people you know, transform their lives? Like what inspired you specifically to go down this road? What inspired me specifically to go down this road was somewhat happenstance and also privilege. After I graduated with a degree in finance in New York City, there were not many jobs because it was post 9-11. It was the year after 9-11 I graduated. And I had the privilege of looking for a job in a different field. And I sought after training. It was arguably for selfish reasons. I wanted to find an excuse to continue to bodybuild because that's what I got into in high school when my conductor, while I was a percussionist, uh, got me into bodybuilding because he was a champion bodybuilder and, uh, and our gym had just opened up. But in between that timeline from me becoming a personal trainer and me starting off my bodybuilding journey, I personality wise, I'm a giver. And I think I still am to a large extent. And I'm also a people pleaser. I think I still am to a large extent. And I found myself being that person in the gym where you're young enough to not, well, at least I was ignorant enough to not understand personal space. And I'd be like, yo, like you're doing that thing the wrong way. Let me show you how to do it. Or, hey, can I help you do this? So I was that guy in the gym. And I always wanted to help others. And I think on a personal level, personality wise, and just what my life looked like as a young adult that I think that's what drew me to this as a profession. It's evolved to be so much more because coaching is more of an art form than it is. It's definitely not personal training. It's a whole different, it's a whole different ball of wax. Okay. And let's go into that a little bit. You know, the distinction between coaching and personal training, like what would you say is, what are some of the main differences? They're almost night and day. John, personal training is when someone shows up and they want to be held accountable on the spot. And there are certain things that they can work out, work with you on. Personal training is, is an in-person thing mostly. And there are some, you get a lot of benefit from it. You have no excuses. You have to show up, right? There's someone right there. Like you didn't train. And I know you didn't train because you, you aren't there with me and it was your session. So there's some major accountability there. Uh, you have someone who is watching you live in person, not, not on a camera. They're watching you live in person. They're able to see how you're moving. They're able to teach you how to move and move well. And they're able to cue you, to physically adjust you. They could, they could stop you in the middle of moving and be like, hey, your body's here. So there's a lot of body awareness that comes into play when you're a personal trainer and there's also that live one-on-one interaction in person. And I don't feel like there's a substitute for any of that. I can't provide that as a coach. I, you know, I feel like that's where you can get started. Not that you have to, but if you work with someone else, I think you can, you can get a lot of help there um, 
and a lot of guidance with that kind of service. Coaching has elements of that, right? Like I do video analysis with my clients where I say, hey, record yourself. And I, can, I can't catch everything, but I can catch a lot. If you show me what, how you're moving with the right camera angle, and I can, I can watch you move, and I can also give you cues to work on in a self-guided way on your own. And then you can train your neural pathways to move properly. Um, so it's a different way. I do feel like the personal training is better when it comes to learning the movements. When it comes to technical mastery, it can be a little challenging. Um, um, no, that's not true. <laughs> I, I still think working with somebody in person, you can focus on technical mastery if you niche down and find like the right, the right um, in-person coach, dare I say. But coaching in general is, I, I think it's, it's more of an art form, whether it's in person or online. Um, I feel like the advantage of working with someone online is that you can really niche down. Like if you want a vegan coach, for example, and you don't live next to a vegan coach, here I am, or here you are. You know, there are lots of good vegan coaches out there. Um, you just got to do your homework. In the fitness industry, there are a lot of pitfalls when it comes to those who are a little newer to coaching. You know, like when I was newer to coaching, there was a lot I wish I knew back then that I knew now, right? You sort of almost think of someone like you learn how to coach others uh, by learning about clients. And you can only do that by working with clients. So in the beginning, you sort of use your better judgment and think about what you would do to work with somebody. And then over time, you you develop your your skills, you earn your chops by working with more clients. So that's one issue. But some people, I, I honestly, and this is a judgment, I feel like some coaches never grow out of that. And um, you really have to care about what you do. You really have to learn about people and, uh, and be willing to try something new every single time you work with somebody and you're not just coaching a person in regards to their, their training programming and their nutrition, you're working on them. You are focusing on body image. We're focusing on their relationship with food. We're focusing on their lifestyle. Uh, we're focusing on all of that. Um, and the longer you work with somebody, the better it gets. So I feel like that's, you're, you're like, you're like a person you're in their corner. You're, you're always there with them. It's a relationship. It's a lot different than showing up for a session with a personal trainer. Um, yeah, so that's how I feel about coaching. So um, this question is going to be personal, and then we're going to start winding down the the episode. Liz, there's something that, and maybe in the last five years, that you've shifted on. You know, you shifted your stance on. Um, in regards to the veganism, plant-based eating, um, has anything shifted um, with things that are happening in the world? I'm curious to see um, if that has occurred for you. I have to sit on that thought and it might not come out because there's something bubbling up there, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I, at this point, seeing the vegan space and being vegan myself for 20 years and being an activist, I've gone through lots of phases on, on a personal level. I think the last five years, I went from being a little hands-off and standoffish, like almost removing myself from the vegan community and vegan spaces. And that's one thing that has shifted for myself. I mean, I've come full circle, but I think the last five to seven years 
growth-wise, I've, I've, I've removed myself a little bit from vegan spaces and removed myself a little bit from the vegan community to think about what it meant to me and how I could continue to, to, to be a part of it and contribute to it. That's one thing that I think has happened to me reflecting over the past five or seven years. The, the other thing reflecting over the past five to seven years that's happened for me is understanding what this thing looks like on the mainstream level and what my impact can be on a mainstream level. Like there's been so much that has changed globally as far as the food supply and as far as um, how we see the environment. There's just big, big picture things to look at. And I've, I've tried to branch out and, um, and, and um, have a presence in the mainstream fitness world, right? Robert, Danny, and I, like with Vegan Strong, for example, we've been in the mainstream fitness arena for like the past three years. And to do that, I think you have to lose a little bit of who you were so that you can learn a little bit more about how you can exist and how veganism can exist in the mainstream fitness world. So I feel like I lost a little bit of who I was and I've changed a little bit. And I think at this point, I'm starting to come a little more full circle and understand um, who I can be inside the vegan community and who I can be in the mainstream fitness community world and beyond and how I can continue to impact both. And I think it's been a pretty interesting journey the past five or seven years. I'm feeling a little more comfortable and a little less isolated in those arenas. And and speaking of the those arenas with bodybuilding, I'm sure that there are some challenges there as well, being someone who's plant-based in a sport that I would assume isn't majority plant-based. So what are some things that you've come across, come against and how have you overcome those obstacles? Well, there was the something to prove era where I needed to be the loudest vegan and also uh identify as the vegan bodybuilder and feel like I was, it was me against the bodybuilding world. So there was, there were those phases. And then there was the whole like humble, quiet lead by example. Don't, you know, just do your thing and people will come to you phase. And nowadays there is the, well, I can quietly and confidently feel comfortable presenting myself as a vegan bodybuilder. And there's, I think there's enough data and enough, enough of a storyline out there where there's not as much pushback as there used to be. There's not as much of a need to prove anything. And over time, more and more people come to the dark side because they realize that veganism means that you, your health will not suffer. And there are more and more, there are more and more illustrations of those who are, who have done it the whole time as vegans and they're still getting the same results, if not better. So I think the tides are, the tides, I think that the times, times are changing and, uh, and people are coming to their senses more and more and are willing to make changes. Um, whereas in the past they weren't, and there was a little more of an argument around it. And let's go, as we're winding down, let's go more into your businesses that you run, that you co-founded. Tell us a little bit more about some of these platforms that people can start using immediately? Well, Vegan Strong has, if you want access to a lot of free recipes and free training programs, go to veganstrong.com and you can find that as well as some blogs by the Vegan Strong team. 
myself, Danny, Robert, and many others. Uh, you can go to Vegan Proteins if you want a program from us. The easiest way to start is to check out our 28-day overhaul. It's 17 bucks. It's a no-brainer. And it has like the best of the best of our information. And it also teaches you as you go. It makes you put in the work so that you can learn how to calculate your own macros. You can learn how to build your own training program. You can learn what kind of habits you need to put into play so that you and what a routine looks like so that you can build your own routine. And then, of course, we have more involved things like courses and one-on-one coaching. And to check out what we're doing with Vegan Strong and with Plant Built, we should be competing next year at Mr. America. Uh, it's a mainstream fitness sports festival, and we'll be competing with the Plant Built team alongside Vegan Strong, where, where we should be co-branding with them if all plays out well next year. In Atlantic City, October, early October, I want to say the 4th through the 7th, we'll compete in bodybuilding, powerlifting, hopefully CrossFit and Kettlebell, if we can get those sports there, and Olympic weightlifting. I don't think I said that. And we're going to definitely put some, we're definitely going to um, build some hype around that for next year. So be on the lookout for that on plantbuilt.com. And several times throughout the episode, you made reference to Danny and Robert. And just for reference for people listening, you are, you are referring to Robert Sheik and Danny Taylor. Correct. Okay. Just in case, just in case. Um, so, uh, which we've had, um, we've had um, Robert Sheik on our program before, and we hope to have Danny Taylor in the future. So yes, thank you so much for coming on the show, for speaking to our audience, for answering my questions. And the last thing I love to have our guests do is to deliver a message directly to our audience. And this, this, this is a message from the heart. doesn't have to be about anything specific. Just something that you want to close the show off because as soon as you're done talking, that's the end of the episode. So if you need a second to think, by all means, feel free to take it. But um, I'm going to yield the floor to you. I want you to feel the same amount of compassion for yourself that you feel for the animals and for the fellow humans in your life and for the world around you. It is so much harder to do than even I care to admit. And I think it's so, so important to not forget about finding loving compassion for yourself while you're still feeling the pain of the world around you because you're doing the work. You've been listening to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. As you can see, our passion is to help people navigate the vegan lifestyle. Having on vegan experts from around the globe, Sean is the founder and, of course, the host of SoFlow Vegans, an organization created to help make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at SoFlow Vegans. Find the show and more at SoFlowVegans.com slash podcast. And for questions or comments, send an email to contact at SoFlowVegans.com. Our food is grown, not born. See you next time.